What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Falcons Final Whistle Podcast. I'm Scott Bear here with Tori McAlady and Chris Rim, as always, and drumroll, please, NFL Network senior reporter, Falcons contributor Steve Weish is on the podcast with us. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. This is fun. It's about time, by the way. You know, my feelings have been hurt. You guys have been like neglecting me with this. I don't want to do this for a minute. So thanks for finally having me on, Scott. Uh, I also think it's important to note that Steve Weish is so committed to bringing you awesome Falcons content that he's up at 645 Pacific time. Early riser or no, he's looking polished, looking fresh, dressed, ready to talk sports. And I don't think any of us were up at 645 Eastern. Nobody wants to hear that. There are a lot of folks. There are a lot of folks who are up at five o'clock working a lot harder than we are who have no time for that. So that's true. Like Steve, so what? That's what you got to do. <laughs> On the grind, man. Well, <laughs> we we're here to uh, break down the Falcons eight player draft class that was just completed over the course of the weekend. Um, they started at number eight with USC wide receiver Drake London and included seven guys after that. They addressed defense a lot on day two. They made five picks in the first 82. Those are what I would consider premium picks. They gave up a fourth round draft pick to go up just a little bit in the second round and draft Penn State edge rusher Arnold Ebikiti. Sounds right. Yeah, Ebikiti. Very good. Miracle. Uh, and then uh, they flushed it out with some defense. They got some day three picks. I, I would say highlighted by BYU running back Tyre Al, I really Algier. 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 Mm-hmm. Thank goodness we have at least one professional TV guy in the group. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Algier, a big uh, bowling ball covered in butcher knives is what I'd like to call him. A, a very physical runner. And we're going to break all that down over the course of this, fi- this Falcons Final Whistle podcast. But let's just start with overall impressions of this draft class, how do you think general manager Terry Fontenot and head coach Arthur Smith did over the course of this three-day stretch? Let's start with our guest, Steve Weish. What were your overall impressions of what the Falcons were able to do? Yeah, first off, it was very tactical and very focused. You know, look, they you can talk best player available all you want, but they went to areas of need, which are pretty much everywhere. But the fact they got two edge rushers, Right. You got a running back who's a very productive running back. That might be my favorite pick of theirs. Tyler Algier is a hell of a player. Um, you know, you get Drake Lund in the first round. You had to give your quarterback a shot. And the top three edge rushers were off the board already. So the fact that they kind of stayed focused and didn't get teased by maybe a greater talent who might not fit for what they're trying to do scheme wise, um, playing time wise and possibly replacing a veteran who could be off the roster next year. I I think the fact that they stuck to that, again, they were very tactical. And I think, you know, the draft pick of Troy Anderson kind of shows that he was an inside linebacker. He said, why do they need an inside linebacker? Well, Deion Jones' contract expires after the year, I believe, or I think they can get out of it. That could be the successor right there. So, again, very smart, very focused. um, And and so, and I think that's the, the big perception of that as well. Chris, uh, what were your overall thoughts on this one? Yeah, I thought they kind of knocked it out of the park. I mean, I think after, I think they have one of the best day twos in the league in terms of snagging Arnold Epicady and then Desmond Ritter um, and then D'Angelo later and Tyler Anderson, who I thought was my favorite guy after talking to him um, that day after the draft. He just seems like a dude who loves football, a dude who 
hasn't scratched the surface of what he can be at that position yet. Somebody who I think will grow a lot in the NFL. And um, I really like the Desmond Ritter pick. I think you get great value at with him at, in the third round and it's, it's low risk, high reward. Um, if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't pan out, you can always move forward. It's not something that, you know, you're stuck at, I think there. So I thought, I thought they, I thought they did a really good job. And I think after day one, I think some people, I think, especially some of the reactions that they got with, with the pick, I think people were worried, but I feel like after day two, everyone felt a lot better about what this class looked like when you go and get two edge rushers, a quarterback and an inside linebacker um, with the skills that Anderson has. Tori, what do you got? I thought it was really interesting because as good as I think this collective group is, it looks very different than what I originally thought Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith are going to go after. I thought that they're going to put more emphasis on interior linemen and also interior on both sides of the ball, line of scrimmage, inside, uh, talking about guards and centers, and then also uh, defensive tackles. I thought they were going to put more emphasis on inside but I read something, I, I guess it was yesterday or, or the day before, where it was like they went outside in, not inside out. And I thought that was very well put because they did go after these skill positions of need. They went after wide receivers. They went after edge rushers, um, went after a quarterback. I mean, the, these are all positions that um, don't necessarily technically help the interior of your offensive and defensive lines, but maybe in the long run do. Um, and so I do think that that was something that was really, really interesting when you're kind of looking at where we thought the Falcons were going to go versus where they actually went. Yeah, I, I really look back at it and I think that they were so much of it was about helping the 22 product a little bit, but, but really trying to keep their eye on the big picture, which is important during this draft. I like that they went out and got a bunch of dudes, a bunch of tough guys and uh, a bunch of guys that were supremely motivated um, and to, to kind of prove it, right? That you go out and you get guys on prove it deals and free agency because you have to, because they can't afford, you know, to give out longer term contracts, but then they go out and get uh, guys with a similar attitude. Um, you know, I, I thought, I thought that was really cool as well. And we're going to break all this thing down further. We are going to get into greater depth about the Drake London pick and the strategy behind it. We're going to go into probably uh, the third round pick with the most eyeballs on him throughout the entire league. That's Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter, who the Falcons got at number 74. We are going to take a closer look at their pass rush, not only who they got, but who they already have. And then, of course, uh, we're going to go kind of big picture macro and look at the Falcons from, from 30,000 feet and really try to get uh, Steve's uh, opinion on on how the rest of the, of the league is looking at the Falcons and their kind of a reclamation project. But before we get to all that, a big thank you to our sponsor, Microsoft Windows 11, the official operating system of the NFL and the Atlanta Falcons. The all new Windows 11 is here to bring you closer to what you love, like the Falcons Final Whistle podcast. Learn all about the awesome new features of Windows 11 at windows.com. So as we were just saying, we're gonna get into this number eight overall selection it's usc wide receiver drake london and steve as you watch the draft play out right you would kind of mention that the top three edge rushers this aiden hutchinson Kayvon thibodeau and trayvon walker were off the board we saw a mini run of offensive tackles with 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 uh Eki, 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 
one of these days I'm going to get one of these pronunciations <laughs> right. And uh, Evan Neal, easier to say. Um, off the board at six and seven, when the Falcons are on the clock, kind of what were your thoughts and what were your initial reactions to the pit given who was off the board and who was left on the board? Well, don't forget to run on corners. You know, you had, you know, Stingley and Gardner off at three and four, and that was another position that they were looking at. So when you look at their board and how they rated them, the guys that were the next rate, highest rated guy was a wide receiver. And, you know, you look, you look at some of the other wide receivers out there, some of the big home run hitters, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, you know, Jameson Williams, like, whoa, you know, there's, there's the game breaker you want. But we know Arthur Smith likes wide receivers, big wide receivers, right? So Drake London fits the mold. He's not the fastest of that group. He's fast enough. I mean, I live in LA. I saw plenty of him, you know, breaking long runs and break big plays at USC, but he can play inside. He can play outside. He's good in the run game. Let's not forget that wide receivers in this offense have got to block. And oftentimes a big wide receiver like Drake London is going to be matched up on a safety. Who's kind of equal size or something comparable. So that's why they helped. They, they probably won with Drake London. Plus, Look, you've got quarterbacks coming in. You get a bigger target for a quarterback, pair him with Kyle Pitts. That gives you some options, right? And so they got Auden Tate, another big wide receiver. They still don't have great speed at wide receiver. That's something they really wanted to address throughout the team. And for the most part in the draft, they did. Um, but when I saw it, I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Because to Tory's point, I thought they were trying to build a little more inside out. They went with the guy who was highest rated on their board. That was a wide receiver, a need position, and he's a really good player. Again, a big guy, faster than you think, um, and can snatch anything that's thrown in his area code. I, I, I was interested in how far Florida State and former Georgia Bulldog edge rusher uh, Jermaine Johnson fell. Steve, it seemed like maybe that, that, that the Falcons might – have some interest in a player like that. He seemed like a scheme fit. What have you heard about not only why he didn't go that high, but why he tumbled all the way to, uh, to a 25 or 26. Yeah. And again, I, I don't have it on great authority. Some people said in some of his interviews, it, they just, they weren't great. I mean, that, that's something clearly it alerted a lot of teams. Now we know all 32 teams did not pick in the first round. So many teams didn't have a first round pick for the second round, but a lot of teams passed on him. This is a really good talent. So you got to dig a little deeper, and some of the things that happen right there, the Jets end up coming and get him with an incredible value pick at 26. But I just think when it came to their board that he just did not rate as highly as Drake London and some other players that they went with. And again, that's what I talk about. Their draft was focused. They, that's a tempting apple to bite, right? That Jermaine Johnson, edge rush, tempting apple to bite. But then they know they had Arnold Ibikite possibly sitting right there for them in the second round at a better value. But they knew they had to come up and get this is someone who was going to go in the high second round. So they got him at a better value and he's someone who they figured could fit their scheme equally, if not better than what they were trying to do with Jermaine Johnson. So when you look at scheme fit, Chris, um, what do you think about Drake London kind of kind of stepping in and what were your impressions? You actually had a chance to speak with him one on one and kind of get a chance to to know his family on on uh, on Friday afternoon. What uh, uh, what what were your big takeaways from that? And how do you think he's going to fit into this offense? Well, I think my biggest takeaway from the first time I talked to him is that maybe they should cool off the media for the first round draft picks because by the time he got to me, he was, I think he was done. <laughs> he was worn out. And the next, the next day I talked to him, he kind of told me that like, yeah, I was, I was so, I just wanted to be with my family and there was just a lot of media going on. And he seemed like a, a really nice, nice guy, good family. 
Um, good family who, you know, was focused on letting him be whatever he wanted to be growing up, you know, didn't push any sport on him, which was clear because he played basketball all the way up until 2020 when it just became too hard with COVID to do two sports. But overall, I think with the, like, for all the things that Steve mentioned, he obviously fits the scheme, but I think, yes, like, like we just talked about, I thought that, you know, based off everything that we were hearing, based off the amount of roundups, you know, <laughs> mock drafts that we looked at, uh, we I think we all kind of thought Jermaine Johnson was was going to go high, thought he might even go before the Falcons pick. Maybe even the Falcons had him rated higher on their board, but they did it. And clearly, you know, many teams did it. And I think what I think I understood more about the pick later on was that it was it was less about you know Drake versus the other wide receivers wide receivers versus like Drake was the highest player on their board at the time, and also you know there's different flavors for wide receivers where you go speed or height or physicality and and Drake definitely fits Arthur Smith's flavor in terms of the guy that he's looking for. So I think when you look at the pick, it makes a lot a lot of sense looking back at it. But I think when it happened, there was a little bit of surprise. I think. Yeah, if you, if, if you go back to it, as I was watching the draft in real time, you you would have thought that if somehow Sauce lands at eight, that's but he was never going to land it at eight. But if he lands at eight, that's the pick. I think Kayvon Thibodeau may have been a difficult guy to pass up on. Um, but ultimately, as the you know, as those three edge rushers went off in, in the top five, I think all like uh, all three of us that were sitting in very close proximity on draft night, uh, really kind of huddled up and thought, okay, it's starting to line up towards, uh, towards that wideout with, with uh, Johnson as the X factor. Ultimately, Drake London is the guy. And uh, we actually had an opportunity to, to talk to some of the regional scouts who took a look at Drake. Um, what were your impressions? Um, you know, uh, uh, did you feel, or, or like, what kind of impressions did you get um, about, about kind of what they thought about Drake and when Drake was kind of on their radar, Tori. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, that have already been said that I feel like I could go down a rabbit hole on kind of each of it. But um, when I was talking to Joel Collier, who is the area scout, who essentially was the point of contact for the Falcons organization with Drake London, um, he said everything that everybody else has already said, you know, using the word scheme fit, using the word build and fit. I mean, that word fit, I think goes a very, very long way because when I was doing the draft grades of the overall league media, the night after the first round, everybody was like, how could you go with Drake London when Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams are still on the board? And everyone was saying that everyone was saying like, it's, it's, why have why pick Drake when you have the other ones? And the reason is, is because the Falcons didn't want the other ones. They didn't see them fitting the way that Drake London would in what Arthur Smith wants this offense to be. That is the key here. And I think that's oftentimes misconstrued when everything's happening around the first night of the draft. And even talking to the area scouts, talking to the positional position coaches, TJ Yates. I mean, they said that over and over. It was like, this is the guy that we wanted because we think that he works in this system best. And I think we have to remember that when we're, when we're talking about this pick and what it means for the Falcons, not just in 2022, but moving forward too. 
Yeah, as, as, as they pair him with, with uh, tight end Kyle Pitts, it's going to be interesting. To, I don't think that Arthur Smith loved the, the uh, self-proclaimed uh, Twin Towers nickname. I think he just said that's going to be more ammo for the meeting room. And they're always looking for new ways to dig. I mean, he actually did that right before the, the first press conference. Uh, he let that Twin Towers thing. Uh, I don't think that's going to last. Uh, but nonetheless, as we move on here, let's, let's skip the second round for for just a little bit talk about the fact that as we saw the first round develop that 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 quarterback run never materialized it was Kenny Pickett at 20 and that was it for a very long time um and some of the guys in the green room uh never got picked I'm thinking of Atlanta native and Liberty quarterback uh Malik Willis was still on the board late. And really the, the, the quarterback run never started until the Falcons chose the second quarterback taken at number 74. Steve, I don't know if you can remember a time when there was that much of a quarterback gap. There's only been a handful of times in the last 10 years or so when you've seen so few quarterbacks go, but to go all the way to 74 and then they get a Cincinnati quarterback, Desmond Ritter, it's weird because if he were to get drafted at eight, you'd have a much, or, or even at, at 38 or at 58, but, but getting him at 74, his talent level, they sent, I don't know, the entire organization to Cincinnati's pro day to check out Gardner, but uh, to also check out, um, to check out the, their, 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 their signal caller. So Desmond Ritter at 74, give me the kind of big picture look at, at that selection how he fits when what and kind of like what your overall thoughts were uh, about this guy at that spot. Well, look, I mean, great value scheme fit, yeah. right? He, he, he almost has the same physical specs as Marcus Mariota, the starter. He had the fastest 40 of all the quarterbacks, you know, at, at the combine. So part of this, and this is speaking of people in the organization is now they got Mariota, they've got Desmond Ritter. And I wrote about this on the column. Now they got people who can move the pocket, right? Now they got quarterbacks who can scramble bootleg run game, all kinds of things now that they can do stuff to protect the offensive line, which wasn't addressed until the sixth round. Right now, they're not as much of a static offense. So what Ritter does, he comes in, one, he's a winner. I mean, you look at what he did, what Cincinnati did last year. Fairly accurate, 65% completion percentage. That's going to be huge. Yeah, you've got the twin towers that they're not going to call them. But, you know, this is, this is the NFL. you got to have some people, you got to put the ball, you know, where it has to be in these tight windows. But this is open competition. Marcus Mariota told me he, he has not been promised anything. So Desmond Ritter has a chance to come in and win this job. And if not, he has the chance to learn from one of the most quality individuals in the NFL. I mean, Marcus Mariota will teach him to eventually take his job, which is a crazy thing because most veterans don't do that. But Marcus, as much as he wants to resurrect his career, is just that type of human being. So, again, this fits the character that Tori talked about. Um, earlier of the draft class. I mean, these are people who are hungry and they're coming into a culture where a lot of people know they're not going to be here for a while. Uh, or, you know, so, so let's help out. So again, Desmond Ritter, I'm not going to expect anything out of him this year other than to compete. I think he will feel, see the field at some point, um, but a solid pick. And, you know, you talk about the quarterback sliding into the third round. Once you got through the first round and you saw other, all the running backs and all these other positions still on the board and all these offensive linemen and edge guys, you knew that these quarterbacks were going to continue to drop and get incredible value, which started the run on quarterbacks here in the third. Yeah. And they're going to have a close eye 
on this quarterback, whether he, Steve, do you, or Chris, Steve, whoever, do you feel like he needs to play at some point during the uh, 2022 draft or, or uh, over the course of this season? Do you feel like he needs to play so they know who they have going in, uh, going into the next draft? Is it something that they're going to have to find a way to get him in there? I don't know. Thoughts on that? No, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he needs to, to play. I think if he, if he wins the job or if obviously if, they see an opportunity for him to play if Mar- if Mariota is struggling or something of that sort happens. But uh, but I think oftentimes the the best scenarios for first year quarterbacks is that time to learn if that if it's a full year, if it's a, a few games, if it's a lot of games, I'm um, giving them that time to learn again. They chose him with the third round pick. So are they invested in how long are they? going to be invested in him? Are they still looking next year? Again, we have to think about that. So yeah, I don't think he needs needs to play next year necessarily. I think it would be good for him to play, but I don't I don't get the impression that Arthur Smith and, and Terry Fontenot feel rushed like they need to get him on the field. I think they like what they have in, in Mariota. And I don't think they, I don't I don't think they feel the need to get him on the field right away. At some point you have to find out how he how he plays in the game. Dude, because the big point, like you said, is are they going to get back in the quarterback market next year? You know, that that is the big issue. They're going to have the money. There's going to be some other guys that can draft. Maybe some of these other quarterbacks become available in free agency. They have to figure out if he can play. Guys could look terrible in practice. And you can make, man, he's not ready. And then all of a sudden he gets in the game and he's something different or vice versa. But I think towards the back end of the season, depending on how Mariota's playing and how the season is going, you know, they're going to know they're going to know within a couple months. And, and again, listen to this part, not how much he can play, but how his teammates respond to him, right? If your teammates are like, this is the guy, but you're not playing him because maybe he can't read a certain defense. At some point you have to give the guy an opportunity just to go out there and see, see if he can do it. I mean, I think it all depends on how the season goes, but not right away. Jordan, what do you think? Yeah. Just about how he's going to kind of step in here. Uh, he's a big athletic guy. I love the fact that he's won more than 40 games. Um, I just think that that says something. He seems scared of nothing, which I think is good. Never lost a home game either. I'm pretty oh. sure. Yeah. I don't think he's ever lost a home game, which when I, uh, when I was talking to people in the building, that was something that kept coming up is like, you want someone in the locker room that is, that has that mentality of a winner. Like that, sorry, excuse me, but that's like what it was. Like everybody kept bringing up his record at Cincinnati. And something that I do think is interesting is like when we're looking ahead, even I know everybody saw this, but when Desmond Ritter is legit talking about how Marcus Mariota is the guy who he models his game after and someone he's looked up to and someone who he really wants to learn from. And the fact that it couldn't have been better that Marcus Mariota is in that room with him. I think that is very, very interesting um, to hear somebody like Desmond Ritter say that. Um, and so I do think it's going to be, I'm looking forward to this year. I do think that it's going to be Marcus like right off the bat, just from kind of like what Arthur was saying in his post draft press conference after Desmond was taken, he was like, you know, Marcus is our guy and he's the veteran. I think that was Arthur. I don't, I'm not, I feel like I'm not putting words in his mouth, but it almost felt like it was Arthur kind of being like, let's pump the brakes on the Desmond starting day one talk. Like we still have Marcus in here. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting and I'm looking forward to it. And then also thinking about the future 
Um, are the Falcons going to be in the market to take a quarterback next draft? Are they going to be in the position to, are they going to be able to hit the trade market and look for somebody in that regard? Um, I think that's going to be interesting too. How can you package um, different players for potentially trading for a quarterback next year? Um, I, y'all know I was team don't take a quarterback this draft. Me too. And I was very anti taking a quarterback this year. Um, And so now that it's, uh, now that it's happened, I don't want people to be like, oh, Tori's already packaging Desmond Ritter to whoever so that they can, uh, the Falcons can get a veteran quarterback in there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's a possibility. And I think it would be interesting. And, and And real quick, real quick, Tori, I mean, that's a great point. Desmond Ritter could be a trade asset. As yeah. crazy as it sounds, because, you know, we're sitting there thinking about, oh, after all the trades this year, betting quarterbacks, it's not going to happen. Tampa Bay could be in the market for quarterback next year. Green Bay could be in the market for quarterback next year. Houston, there are so many teams, Washington, almost all of the teams, Philadelphia, that were in the market for quarterbacks this year could be back in the market for quarterbacks next year. So the hope is that either Marcus or Desmond pans out, because if, if the Falcons are back in the quarterback market, they are going to have stiff competition whether it's in the draft or whether uh, it's for some of these veteran quarterbacks. So I, I like how you're thinking there, Tori, is possibly Ritter being a nice you know, trade asset to do something. It's absolutely wacky because sometimes you, you try to get these podcasts outlined, you know, what you're going to talk about, you lay it out at the top and then you start recording it and then your phone explodes because according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the Falcons have agreed on an extension with defensive tackle Grady Jarrett giving him a three-year deal with up to $51 million. I'm just reading his tweet, uh, by the way. Uh, Jarrett cashes in again. ATL gets a lowered cap number in 2022. We can't just ignore it. That's not, that can't be a thing when it breaks. We got Steve Weiss right here. We have had no chance to really process. Um, I'm sure everybody else's phone was doing the exact same thing. Okay, instant reaction, Steve. Grady Jarrett's well, I mean, contract extension. I mean, no surprise. I mean, I know it took, took a little while longer, but... They wanted to do this. You know, they were hoping to do this earlier so they could get their cap, you know, in a little bit better situation. But then once they traded Matt Ryan, there was no way it was going to be in a better situation with a dead cap hit. So this lowers things a little bit. It gives them some flexibility in the post-draft free agent market because there are going to be some veterans released. There is going to be some movement. But they get, more importantly, they get a player that they like. I mean, they really like Grady for his on and off the field stuff. He's someone who's committed to this organization. So no surprises right there. This is this is a nice, savvy move. Tori said you thought they were going to address the defensive interior maybe a little bit more. Well, this is one of the anchors um, of that defensive interior, and they're hoping that some of those guys that they drafted last year inside can continue to develop as well. And Marlon Davidson as well, who's been here for a couple of years. Being able to have a guy like that, a veteran locker room leader, a guy who hosts film sessions during, uh, d- during the regular season, coaches up a lot of these younger players excuse me on a defense that's transforming that with that that we're seeing new younger edge rushers come in we've seen um a younger turn in terms of the secondary having Grady Jarrett there uh for whoever wants to um address this having him committed to the team for a longer term uh that really has to help this group that is getting a lot younger but but you've got that captain uh, right there um, in the middle. I think uh, this is a big signing. Yeah, I think also, too, there were some questions about Grady's future. He hasn't been at OTAs. I remember AJ, AJ was asked on the first day of OTAs about being like kind of like the oldest guy there. He started laughing like I, I can't even believe that 
you just said that, that I'm the oldest guy here right now. Um, so it's good to kind of not have those questions in the locker room about whether a guy is here or, or if he's if he's going to be here long term and, and get a guy who's one of the best at his position in the league on your defense. Um, you know, you can't can't ask for more than that, I guess. <laughs> Tori, what do you think? Oh, my gosh, I I'm sorry. I wish I could say that I've been listening to y'all over the last like two minutes, but my phone is like blowing up with all these people asking about Grady and and wanting me to do like radio and stuff. And I'm like all over the map. But just if y'all said this, I'm sorry. But I do think that this is really good news for the Falcons. And I, I as someone who I've very much enjoyed watching Grady Jarrett over the last few years, especially, but this past year was really, really something. And I think it just is this past year for Grady Jarrett flies so under the radar because of the lack of production. But if you turn on the tape at any point in time, in any game, you have Grady Jarrett going up against three offensive linemen. He got the Aaron Donald treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's a sign of respect. First of all, I mean, talking to, offensive coordinators across the league who have to go up against Grady Jarrett you, they're like you have to know where he is at all times if you don't I mean you're screwed essentially um and so the fact that this is a guy who garners that much respect across the league and you're getting him to come back um on a multi-year deal um multi-year extension I think is really really important for I don't know just how competitive you can be in 2024 um that I'm, I'm thinking about the future here and so it's I think it's really good news for the Falcons now what they have to do you have your guy back get him some freaking help I mean and that's that was the start of the draft I mean when you go out and you get a couple edge rushers in the draft and, and making sure hopefully you can get Marlon Davidson on track in the way that you want him to go and so Get Grady Jarrett some help. You've got him in the building for another four years. So let's see what you can do. You got four years with him. Go and get him some guys and develop him some guys around him who can take some of that pressure off of him. And it's got real quick. It's got yeah. real quick. Give Grady, give Grady credit mm-hmm. because they weren't sure when they when Arthur Smith and his staff took over last year that he was going to fit their scheme. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was a very much of a wait and see year for him before they did anything with that contract. And he, he played his tail off, as Tori just said. So give him a lot of credit for adjusting, um, taking one for the team, so to speak, fighting those double and triple teams all over and, and standing up and getting this extension. Yeah, I, I, I talked to him back in November, and he didn't have the same type of sack numbers that, that he had in, in recent years, in uh, 2020 especially. And he said, you know what, man? The, the most important moment for me is after a game, it, if the opposing offensive line coach comes up to me and says, it was a nightmare trying to plan for you, right? That, that, and he said that that, that that had recently happened to him and that, that, that those become the moments more than the box score, right? Turning on the like tape, ha- having people who have to scheme against him say, hey man, it, it, it was tough sledding um, all day. So again, we're on complete audible here. Tori has to write as fast as possible. Uh, Steve has to be on television very soon. Uh, so let's just try to kind of wrap this thing up. It's obviously less about the draft now because you have this Grady Jarrett um, um, extension. So let's just try to make a more general question, right? What's the national perception, Steve? You are talking to people across the league throughout, throughout the NFC South about what the Falcons are doing, how the Falcons are kind of, I don't know, rebuild, reset, who cares what the term is, right? Just, just that, that they're trying to reformulate things 
get back right with the cap. They just finished their draft. Like, what's the rest of the league thinking about what the Falcons are doing here? Well, post-draft was kind of a nice little uh, life preserver because after the failure to trade for Deshaun Watson and then moving off from Matt Ryan, the perception is, what are the Falcons doing? Like, what is the blueprint? Because the one thing you don't want to do when you start building your team as a new new organization with leadership-wise and whatnot is to deviate from the process. And Arthur Smith pretty much said that's what they did when they threw the Hail Mary attempt for Deshaun Watson. So the fact that they had such a rock-steady draft, and again, whether you like the players or not, they were very intent and very focused on sticking to their board, addressing needs. This was a need-addressed draft. They hit needs everywhere. They need a lot. but um, And they, they upgraded their speed and athleticism, which are two things they said that they had to do. The, everything I hear is like it, it was a fantastic draft. Again, they got really good players. We didn't get a chance to talk enough about Tyler Algier. That guy is a hell of a player, which is why you saw Mike Davis let go right after the draft. But it was steady, and now they can eventually, and I, and I wrote about this, form a nucleus. Because before the draft, I asked Terry Fontenot, well, like, who, what is your nucleus? And I got kind of the vague Terry Fontenot answer. But in other words, they didn't really have one besides, you know, A.J. Terrell and, and Grady Jarrett and Lindstrom. And so now, hopefully, from last year's draft class, you know, with, with Kyle Pitts and some other guys, they have a nucleus at the end of the season. So now they really know where to build once they do have that free agent money and wherever they end up drafting next year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been an off season. That's you, you're right. It, 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 there was a deviation from the plan and to, to have Matt Ryan get traded and go through the transition at quarterback. And I think at some point they were going to try to play through it and work their way through the salary cap and grind their way out of it eventually. And then the Watson Ryan thing happened. It's like, all right, Let's just do it all now and get it's 62 something million dollars in, in, in dead cap space. That ain't good. NFL high, of course, but, but they get out of it next year. So it may be rough, but they're still, um, so there was a hiccup, there was a Valley, but they seem to, in my opinion, be, be coming out of it pretty well. This is going to have some tough choices, some tough decisions, some tough cuts. And that's what we've seen um, over the course of this off season. It's been up and down. I do think that this draft class, um, offers a lot of optimism. We have no idea how these guys are going to turn out, but it could be kind of the restart, right? That they got seven wins last year. They may not get seven wins this year. I think that would be a real good season if, if they got seven wins. But um, as they start to kind of build this thing back up, just uh, real quick from, uh, from Tori and from Chris, as we uh, wrap this thing up here, uh, you know, thoughts on where the Falcons are post-draft, post-Jarrett signing, Post Ryan trip, it's been an active offseason. Now that I'm listing them all, um, where do you uh, where do you think they are right now, and where do you think that they need to go? I think they should feel really good about where they're at, like Steve. So I think they address needs while also getting the best players available on their board. I think there's a lot to be excited about on the offense. I think Kyle Pitts and, and Drake London is very scary. When you look at Drake London's film, that guy is. <laughs> that guy is a monster in terms of like he does not avoid contact and he goes up and, and gets the ball. Um, and, and I think that'll be dynamic for the offense and a lot of help for whoever is throwing the ball. Just throw it up and one of them will get it. Um, so I think in terms of the positions of knee, I thought they got some also got some competition at that left guard spot um, late late in the draft. So I think they should feel good about where they're at. And they hit a lot of places of need. And I think 
that there's a lot of potential this year and moving forward. You can see Tori is doing like a thousand things at once. Her eyes are all over the board. She's probably writing a story, answering a text, dealing with all this breaking news. Uh, Tori, I, I will let you get to your actual job here. Just uh, real quick, uh, 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 wrap this thing up for us. Oh gosh. Okay. I think I'll keep it short and sweet and simple. Um, cause I, again, I haven't been listening to y'all. I am so sorry, <laughs> um, <Talk. laughs> but what I will say is I think you can sell if you're an organization at this point in time, you're trying to sell two things. You're either trying to sell hope or you're trying to sell anger. And for right now, the Falcons can sell hope because there is something to be hopeful about in regards to this draft class and the moves that they're also making, I think, in free agency. We know that they're going to, as Terry Fontenot said, take it on the chin this year with the dead cap money, and that is significant. I mean, we can't talk about the Falcons and not talk about the money, that they're, that, that dead money. I mean, it, it's tough. So that part makes it difficult. But there is a certain hope that you can sell to the fan base now that you couldn't sell, I think, even at this time last year. And it is that they're – crawling their way out of a salary cap situation that really, really sucked. They're going to have money next year and they're going to have an exciting core of young players to see what the heck they can do with that group, with an, with Arthur Smith's scheme, with Dean P's scheme. There's a lot looking forward that you can be excited and hopeful about. Now, I know there are Falcons fans everywhere being like, I'm jaded and I hate that you said that, but it's okay feel a little hopeful. This is the time. This is the time now more than ever to feel hopeful about what direction the Falcons are going in. So just sit in that. Just just be okay with that for the time being. And with that, I'm out. I'm going to dive out of <laughs> jaded, the time. Well done, Tori. A jaded Falcons fan? No way. No <laughs> way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you all so much for downloading and listening to the latest episode of the Falcons Final Whistle. You know what to do. Rate, subscribe, five stars. Nice things to say about us, please. Steve Weish. Steve Weish in the house. Thank you so much. We kept you, I think, everybody longer than we planned. Really uh, appreciate you, man. And obviously, Falcons fans, stay tuned to the website for more Steve Weish columns. We move through the offseason and into camp. He's part of the preseason broadcast team, y'all. This is big time. Steve, thank you so much for the time. Chris Torrey, you know, you got to come. So anyway, appreciate uh, everybody. Talk to you. Uh, talk to you next week.